Faculty Podcast brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I'm president and professor of Old Testament here at RTS Washington. I'm joined by my academic dean and professor of New Testament, Dr. Tommy Keene, my professor of systematic theology. He's not just mine. He's everybody's. I was going to say. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm possessing my professors today. Um everybody's systematic theology professor, <laughs> Dr. Grace Utanto, and everybody's Old Testament professor and everyone's dean of students. So he's expecting calls from everyone on dean of student-related re- issues, Dr. Peter Lee. Today we're going to continue on in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And today we're talking about peace. Talking about peace as a fruit of the Spirit. And of course, this is a big issue in the scriptures. You can all immediately start thinking of all the Bible verses that talk about peace, both a collective peace and individual kind of personal peace. And that probably needs to play a role in the way that we talk about this today. So when we think about peace as a fruit of the Spirit, Tommy, let me start with you. What, what comes to mind? Where does this direct your thoughts yeah. as you're thinking about peace in the New Testament? I've, I've actually been thinking about this a lot uh, this week this week um this is a grading week and i gave i i i told this story recently about how i gave students the opportunity to talk about any passage that they wanted to in revelation and 95 percent of them chose revelation 21 1 through 4 mm. which is which is a classic piece i mean it's a great passage i'm i've read more papers on it than i care to um but one of the you know it's a passage that promises among other things, peace, that God will wipe away every tear. The sea is a sea of glass to indicate, mm-hmm. you know, the calm of the new heavens and the new earth. You know, these, these kinds of promises made in Revelation. One of the classic kind of mistakes that you can make in interpreting a passage like that is to say, you know, look, the new heavens and the new earth, peace, God's, God pronounces peace. Therefore, you should be at peace now. Yeah. You know, God wipes away every tear. Therefore, you shouldn't be sorrowful now. And one of the first things I'd want to remind us when we look at peace as a fruit of the Spirit is this eschatological perspective, that mm-hmm. it is only fully, truly, perfectly realized as God pronounces peace, as God brings mm-hmm. f- the fullness of his justice and righteousness to bear and knits it into the fabric of creation in a way that, that is is not the case right now. Right now, we can expect there to be. The fact that God wipes away every tear means that right now, tears are appropriate. Sorrow is appropriate. We, we expect wars and rumors of war. Now, we seek, we, I'm sure we, we can talk about this, we, we are to be seekers of peace and peacemakers, even in the here and now. But we do so as those who wait for God's uh, righteous judgment and peacemaking power yeah. in the last day. That that helps us understand so many other discussions of peace that we find in Scripture, I think, too. I think that's really good. Uh, Christians are not presented. Jesus himself is not presented as someone who's sort of quietly detached from everything. Right. Right? I mean, he's. we, we see Jesus weep. We see him sweat and 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 cry out and laments we see him cry out yeah. in prayer um, the martyrs in revelation cry out lord how long how, yep right there's this recognition that there is a tension between the peace that god 
in Christ brings and the life today in this, as Paul says, in this present age, you know, that we, we have attention, you know, Paul, uh, Luther talking about something somewhat different, but I think also pointing to a similar reality in the Christian talks about us being similar used to set pictorious, you know, this at the same time, saint and sinner, there's this conflict as a Christian, you're not expected to have this Pollyannish, you know, sunny faced view of everything. Right. Right. But that we actually should have some tension in us as I think we see in the church. There's a tension between those who have both tasted, breathed the fresh air of the new heavens and new earth in Christ mm-hmm. through the spirit and yet still live on this side of that full consummation. We've talked about this kind of from a number of different perspectives in the fruit of the spirit, that there is this tension there. You know, yeah. Love does not mean that we are you know, uh, unaware of conflict mm-hmm. you know, in, in the world. And peace does not mean that we are stoics, yeah. you know, seeking to sort of live in the flow of the world. No, we, we, we can rail against the dying of the light and all of that good, the good call that is to us to seek, uh, seek something eschatological in the midst of challenge and conflict and wilderness and exile and all of these other kinds of things. Mm. Um, start, a starting point for the discussion is, I think, that eschatological future in which God will pronounce his peace. But we have to then, now we're called to seek on earth what will be true in heaven. Something that comes to mind is um, Bobbing's little essay, The Kingdom of God, The Highest Good, where he talks about the way in which the kingdom of God orients um, all of life, including the self, community, culture, church, and, and all things in light of this coming kingdom of God. And so when he talks about this, in terms of the self, he, he reminds um, his readers that the self is in conflict fundamentally because, especially the Christian self, the self um, sees the law, which is still, in a sense, outside of the self, right? So there's this promise in Jeremiah 31 that the law of God would no longer be written in tablets of stone, but rather be written in the human heart. And, and Bobbing argues that this hope and this promise that the law would be written in the human heart would be the peace of the self in conjunction with the law. That that following the law, obedience to the law, is no longer a external call for a divided self, but rather be the manifestation of the freedom of the self. So when we freely choose in that last day, we would freely always choose the law and we would delight in the law. Whereas for now, the Christian, there is still the sin that dwells inside us. And even though it is now Christ who lives in me and and, and my past self has died and my new self um, is really delighting in the spirit. There's still residual sin which causes conflict between mm-hmm. me and my inner identity, which is in Christ, and that inner identity's desire to follow the law. So there's, there's two kinds of conflict there. There's, in the first sense, the divided self. So our faculties are still divided against one another. What the heart wants, the body Um, denies, for instance, what the mind knows to be good, the heart oftentimes doesn't desire, and the unifying personality is promised in the last day, so I think that's one important facet of peace. And secondly, that unified personality has a positive orientation toward the law of God, right? So when we talk about Adam being created good, he wasn't just free from um, temptation and sin, 
um, but rather he had a positive orientation toward God. And in the last day, we would be completely free from mm-hmm. temptations and consummately free, not just freedom from, from the threat of temptation, but also freedom from all temptation in itself. So I think there's, there's many layers to this that we can explore. I like that. James 4 gets at that. Uh, that in, I, it's, it's a really interesting passage. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So you've got this, James puts forward just this very clear question. Why do we keep fighting amongst ourselves? Why do we keep quarreling? And, and, and he's addressing now the church as church. Why, why do we, even in the church, continue to quarrel? And why is there no peace? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Um, and that, that's a personal war, right? That's a, like you were describing with, with bobbing. It's an internal conflict that my passions are at war within me personally, and that flows out to the rest of the church. But then it's also our mutual passions, um, you know, that, that we are at war with one another because ultimately this idolatrous mindset of we want our own ends and our own purposes to be accomplished and are not putting ourselves, ser- serving the other. You know, our, our greatest passion is not that the people around us would be blessed, but that, that we would see mm. blessing. The, the, you see this develop over redemptive history, you know, which is trying to solve the problem of <coughs> the fall, where you have Adam and Eve uh, introduce this element of fragmentation, yeah, right? And this element of passions warring when they choose to eat of the fruit, thereby dethroning in their own hearts the Lord and enthroning their own ends and goals and of course there's a movement forward i love talking about deuteronomy 6 uh but there you see this clearly kind of worked out right we see that god in his character as one god as as being a god who's holy and and wholly integrated as we might say um that character is supposed to find expression in his people who are likewise supposed to not be divided up like baal would be divided from town to town or like the pantheon of the gods might be divided in war, with warring uh, agendas. But we are supposed to be like Adonai, who is one. What does that mean? We love him with all of our inner self, all of our self-self, and all of our, what we might call our effect in the world. Now, what's interesting about the law, I mean, the law to grace, law to gospel progression there is that in the law, we're simply commanded it. Therefore, these words shall be on your heart. Put them on your heart. Write them on your doorpost. Put them on your, your face and on your arms. You know, it's commanded and yet the grounds by which that can happen are not accomplished yet. We don't see that kind of wholeness, right? Until Jesus comes and provides for us wholeness. Mm. So I think that's, that's even helpful in terms of the area of peace or, you know, this idea of being made whole. Of course, in the old Testament, the, the word that we translate peace uh, is this word shalom, which has a sense of fullness, wholeness, welfare, completion. Um, which I think is also kind of lexically, it's not the same word that's used in Deuteronomy 6, but it's kind of lexically tapping into the same semantic range of not being divided, partial, fragmented, but mm-hmm. being whole, mm-hmm. unified, one. Mm-hmm. And what happens? We don't see this again, so we see Jesus about to be betrayed, and he says, um, Father, make them one. Now he's talking collectively, collectively, interestingly, because usually it's, it's, it goes from collective to individual when you go from Old Testament to New, but this time it's an individual to collective. 
Jesus says, make them one as you and I are one. I, you know, uh, uh, they in me as I am in you, right? He's talking about the wholeness of the Godhead and that, that his character, God's character should be seen in his people mm. and their wholeness and their integrity in the sense of like how a mineral can have integrity or a machine, a system can have integrity. You know, we're supposed to be integrated with this love of the Lord and that that's a fruit of the spirit. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you're not going to get it with just the law because in the law, you just have it commanded to you. It, it's in the gospel that the groundwork for that unification is, is accomplished in Christ. That's Paul's point too in Philippians 2 have this mindset in you that it, that is that is in Christ Jesus right. and you get that great hymn of the faith that that great hymn that or or confession talking about the humiliation and exaltation of Christ mm-hmm. such an important theological contribution there but it's all for Paul bound to this pastoral purpose yeah to cultivate humility yeah in ourselves which in turn will generate peace in the church that's right and th- that's if you're looking for peace, if you're looking for less conflict in your life, the path forward for that is this is humility is humility, yeah. and the path of humility that we're called to walk is given to us by Christ. He he yeah. humbled himself and became obedient to death, so that we might live a service for the other mm-hmm. in love, which cultivates humility, which cultivates peace. Yeah, and and even in Philippians, he says. To get back to our earlier conversation, that there's still a tension. Yeah, this is an unexpected peace, right? Yeah. It's 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 an unlikely peace. As a matter of fact, if you have this kind of peace, it doesn't make sense. It surpasses all right. understanding, right? You know, that's what he's saying. The peace that passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of Christ, right? Why 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 is it passing understanding? Because it, this world is not a world of peace, and yet we have this spirit of peace within us. And we've all experienced that at times in our own lives, I'm sure. And you've also known those people, right? That in the middle of conflict, in the middle of the struggle, you say there's something going on there that, that it pass, it surpasses my understanding. But this person has a peace within the tension that is an alien peace. And we've been saying that now with kindness, I think, and love as well. These are alien. Yeah. Uh, these that's are of the spirit. spirit. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Amen. We said it at the same time. (laughs) Talk about unity and wholeness. One mind. Uh, No, I I think everything everything you guys are saying is great. I don't really have much to contribute to just because, you know. You're so uh, peaceful. I'm just, uh, (laughs) that's that's what I strive to be as a peacemaker. (laughs) Mm, Too peaceful for this conversation. You are. That is true, though. You have that. Okay, so let me ask you this, then, as a person who is known as a peacemaker. Am I known for that? Both on faculty and amongst the students. I mean, to be a dean of students, you have to be a bit of a peacemaker because you're you're running interference, which is a decidedly unpeaceable saying. You're you're running interference between faculty and the student body. So so how do you how do you find expression? to peacefulness uh, of the peacefulness of the spirit how, how do you find expression to that in your life uh you guys give me way too much credit here um you know you it, it's it's really supernatural i think we were talking a little about about the eschatological yeah. aspect of, of uh peace um it's very you know we can't really generate it on our own uh you know a lot of what you, you see i guess a lot of what you were saying scott about you know, kind of the fragmented nature is probably mm. the contrary to peace is totally true. You know, without 
a common denominator without something bringing us together. And, and that's sort of the Old Testament, everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. Yeah. There's no peace there yeah. um, because there's just conflict. It's sort of, you know, everyone's opinion becomes a law of the land, you know, and therefore it's just a constant war because not everyone's going to be in agreement. Yeah. Uh, it's just utter chaos. It's the utter opposite uh, of peace. It, it requires us to die to ourselves, to submit to higher authority, um, and then... Uh, come to terms with the fact uh, that uh, under a greater authority we can actually be unified yeah. and, and live at peace with one another. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a real, it, it's something that we can't do on our own. And, yeah. and, and I really appreciate the, 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 the heavenly aspect of the way that we talk about peace and how it's really just a product and a gift for really only believers can really have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's something that uh, uh, that's really special that we can have. I mean, we talk about it as a future gift, but you know, it's a comfort now that we can offer it and have it even in the midst of just, you know, corruption yeah. and chaos all all around us. It's trying to teach people to think of others before themselves as we were talking about. You think about yeah. yourself, you're never going to get it. So. Yeah. It's, I love that idea because I get said you're saying this is something that's kind of a, this is unique unto the spirit in the sense that it's not just a lack of war, right? You can have lack, uh, it's, it's not a negative value, right. which is how we often think about peace. Peace is when you're not having war. But in scripture, it's actually a positive value. It's not just moving away from conflict and fragmentation. It's moving towards positive, yeah. life-giving, integrated wholeness, right? Or a common goal. You know, I mean, you, you try to do that with students. We're all on the same side here. I mean, mm -hmm. even amongst pastors, you know, <laughs> when they're in conflict, you have to remind them we're, we're all on the same side. We're all heading towards the same thing. We all kind of want the same thing. Yeah. If we don't, then we really have to discuss things. But if we all are trying to do the same thing here, uh, we really are of like mind. We might be uh, disagreeing on how we get there, so let's talk about that. That's, but. that's really good. I think there's a, yeah, there's a same goal, same in place, right? There's the same Lord. We all have the same loyalty. It's like, you know, if you... Uh, we feel this when, say, you have a football team who you're all loyal to. You, there's a continuity between you and your other fellow fans right. when you're wearing the same jersey at the football stadium, right? And that's that's another way in which we're unified. So it's same goal. It's same leader, same Lord, same king. So we all, no matter what conflict I might have with you, I have to remember that we're all under our Lord. Right. And correspondingly, that if we're in conflict, one of us is not served. Yeah, that's right. You know? Right. Exactly. And so, I, yeah, there's same end, same Lord, and then what we've been talking about a lot, same spirit. Yeah. Right? There's actually this shared spiritual DNA within the church yeah. that, you know, we are all of a, of a type, and that type is the redeemed spiritual man, as Paul says. Yeah. Right. Christ lives within us. Not, not us ourselves, but Christ within us. Thanks for having this conversation. I look forward to being with you all again next week as we continue in this series. Uh, if you're interested in RTS Washington, please look us up, rts.edu forward slash Washington. Uh, you can post questions uh, at the link on this uh, in the show notes for this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks to everyone listening. Thanks to grabbing us when you see us out in the world and uh, telling us how much you love the podcast. That's been an encouragement mm -hmm. over the weeks and, the pa weeks and months. 
previous. Look forward to being with you all again next week. Until then, take care. Tommy and I, we often get mistaken for each other. I get it. We both wear glasses. Mm -hmm. We both wear glasses. We that is very glasses. true. And button-up shirts on occasion. And, uh, <laughs> and brown shoes. <laughs> the similarities are, are, are legion. It was funny. On Halloween last fall, a group of students dressed up mm. yes, us. like right. us, wearing our... Uh, our telltale clothes. And, it, and if before that you had asked me what do each of us wear, I wouldn't have. Yeah. Other than maybe Dr. Jean. He has kind of a, he has kind of an obvious style. Yeah, T-shirt and blazer. Yeah, T-shirt and blazer. That's right. White, white sneakers. Um, but as soon as I saw the picture, it's something registered to me that there's something wrong because they just posted it without saying what they were doing. Yeah. And it took a little while. And then suddenly it settled in. But you knew who everybody was. In fact, yeah. one of our students had an, the exact shirt <laughs> for Dr. Lee. That's right. That's yes, right. Indeed. She came in and she did not. She, I think she picked it out as a Peter Lee-like shirt. That's right. Right. And then you happen to wear that shirt. Yep. That, that's pretty impressive. Oh, the Lord does have a sense of humor. Yeah. So. yeah.